Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, some college football talk. Finally, it's week zero. Florida State hosting Duquesne. We're going to have Matt Baker, our college football writer of the Tampa Bay Times, on here in just a minute. Excited about that. Meanwhile, the Bucks headed to Indianapolis to play the Colts in the final preseason game. As we do this podcast, not sure if Tom Brady will, will start the game or play, but I do expect to see a number of starters in there. And it's important, particularly there's some position battles going on that should be settled, certainly in this game. I think, uh, first and foremost, how well that, that offensive line functions together. They want to have their five guys I think Luke Gedeke will probably start at left guard. He's going to get a long look anyway. It's between him and, and Nick Everett, who also can play some center. Um, Gedeke had a rough start last week because he had the two holding calls. He also had a, gave up a sack. Bucks looked at the tape, didn't think it was that bad. They're encouraged by the way he's progressed. Obviously, Robert Hainsey needs more time. He's doing a pretty good job. After that, you're looking at these wide receivers. Um, you know, we haven't seen really Mike Evans, and we haven't, we probably won't see Chris Godwin in this one, But although they've both been practicing Godwin with a non-contact jersey, so I don't expect to see him in this game. Uh, but yet the battle for those final wide receiver spots is is huge. And, you know, Brashard Perriman is a guy that made some plays last year, walk-off touchdown against Buffalo. He's been injured. He's going to be back in this game. Scotty Miller, who made – one of the penultimate plays in franchise history with that touchdown catch before halftime in the NFC Championship game at Green Bay. He is fighting for a roster spot. Cyril Grayson, who had a game-winning touchdown against the Jets last year, he too is fighting for one. And then you have the Devin Tompkins and uh, you know Stearns and guys like that. They're undrafted free agents that have just played remarkably this preseason. One, one or mo- many of those guys probably uh, could be trade fodder when they get down to the final cuts. Um, but it's going to be a battle, and it's going to come down to the end. So watch for special teams. Uh, these guys will be used as gunners. They're looking for somebody to cover kicks. That very often determines who gets that final spot. Jalen Darden is in the mix, obviously, and right now is their number one kick returner. So he needs to show some some stuff in that area. He's improved as a receiver. Uh, the kicking situation, very interesting. I mean, I think at this point, uh, Ryan Suckup has probably had a better overall camp, making a 50-yard plus field goal uh, in, the, in the preseason game against the Titans, which was their only points, I think, uh, was, was good for him, was huge for him. And I believe that, uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of think he's got the edge, um, but it's going to come down to the last game, and, and, and we'll see if, if, you know, they use Jose Borgales or if it's just going to be Ryan Suckup in that one. So lots to decide in this game, and then the biggest thing is which quarterbacks play are we going to see – uh, Tom Brady, uh, just for a little bit. He's played at least a portion of every preseason game or most preseason games um, in the last, I want to say, five or six years. Last year he played in the final preseason game a little bit as well. So looks like they may be getting him ready for that. But regardless, he is back. He's healthy. He's uh, playing well. So that's really all that matters. You just got to settle the offensive line in front of him. 
The good thing about this game in Indianapolis is that it's indoors, and that means air conditioning. And you know something about that because it's as hot as it's ever been outside. Your AC is running all the time. Your electric bill is going up, and we have a solution for that problem. It's May Electric Solar. It's a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years. You have this field. There's all these fly-by-night companies, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and service warranty plus with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That right there is the May difference. So if you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all its products and conducts on-site testing so you can see exactly what they're going to install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who is doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. You can lower your electric bill all year long and preserve your quality of life and the quality of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. All right, it's finally here. It's week zero, but it still counts. College football season begins, and that means we get to talk to Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, who covers college football for us. Matt, uh, Florida State is going to play Duquesne on the surface. This doesn't look like a big deal. This is a big deal, and we were just chatting before the open of the podcast. Florida State has not won an opener since 2016. Is that possible? It is possible. That that 2016 game was in Orlando. It was, it was either on, I think it was on Labor Day night, if I remember right. And it was one of the more memorable games I've covered. Um, the, the Knowles who started that game looked awful, just awful. And mm. the Knowles who finished that game from the last couple of minutes of the second quarter really on looked like a team that could win the national championship. I had that's that's the most Jekyll and Hyde team I have ever seen in in one game. And then I mean, just think about it afterward. Twenty seventeen was the game against Bama, one and three in the country, where DeAndre Francois got hurt and Florida State was just outmatched. And you know what happened the rest of that year? Twenty eighteen, wheels fell off of Willie Taggart's bus really early. Uh, <laughs> Twenty nineteen was the Boise State game where they got outclassed in the second half when the humidity should have done the Broncos in. Twenty twenty with Georgia Tech, the COVID year. Florida State fell apart. And then uh, 21 last year, they looked okay for a while against Notre Dame and couldn't close the deal in overtime. So, yeah, it's been a long time since the Knolls have won an opener, which is kind of a crazy thing to say and think about. It is crazy. Um, and I think you were there for a lot of those, right? <laughs> I mean, you're going you're gonna to be there Saturday. You're going to be there Saturday, right, for Duquesne. All of them. Wow. Yeah, and I, I am going to be there Saturday for Duquesne. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't say that about FCS games very often, or even some of the, the low-level FBS games. But look, Florida State should have no problem with Duquesne. They, sure. they should absolutely destroy them. And if they do, that is progress. And I'm not like trying to pat them on the head. No, that would seriously be progress. When you look at the way Florida State has struggled against FCS and low FBS teams in the past go back to uh, obviously we we know what happened against Jacksonville state last year and the worst loss of the program's modern era. They had a game a couple years before that against Sanford where it was a competitive game in the fourth quarter. And there was a a late tight end or late touchdown um, by FSU that kind of, you know, helped, helped put it away, but that was way closer than it should have been. Go back to, I think it was 2019 um, against Louisiana Monroe with, no, they're an FBS team, but so they've got the same number of scholarships. But they, that's a team that Florida State, Florida State should kill. And that, to me, was one of the major lows of the Willie Taggart era. Because you know what happened 
at the end of 2017 where they had to reschedule Louisiana Monroe to make a bowl game. And that was weird. And that was a kind of an embarrassing situation for a program like FSU where we got to reschedule this hurricane game to make a bowl and keep that streak alive. But they did it. And they, they looked very good at beating a bad team. Then a couple years later, Louisiana Monroe comes to town. Florida State screwed around, should have lost that game, and very well might have had the Louisiana Monroe kicker not doing one off the upright uh, late. So that's that just kind of shows you where the program has been. So if things are going to turn around with Norvell, it will start immediately. We will see that on Saturday because they, if things are better, they will kick the crap out of a team that they should overpower. That just hasn't been the case in the past. And if I want to kind of just dig in a little bit more, I, I don't want to do X's and O's talk on, on Florida State Duquesne. But there are a couple of things I'm actually really interested in. I want to see if the offensive line, which has been bad, historically bad, in that range for, for most of the last four or five years, I want to see if they can push around these guys because they absolutely should. And I really want to see special teams, which, again, that's not something I say a lot. But when Mike Norvell got hired at FSU... One of the very first things he said on day one was, we're a team that's going to play really good special teams. You know, you want to see how the, the culture of a program, look at how hard they play on special teams. And I think there's some truth to that. You know, that's where you kind of show your depth. That's where um, you make the explosive plays happen in the return game and all that stuff. His special teams were very, very good at Memphis. So far, they have not been that good at Florida State. You can go back to the, you know, missed... Uh, field goal against Notre Dame go back to the way the regular season ended with the whiffed onside kick at the end against the Gators last year so the special teams have not been good and has certainly have not been special so I want to see if this to me is a chance for FSU to show that something is different in that third overlooked phase of the game that can go a long way in deciding whether these nulls are going to go five and seven again or whether they're going to go eight and four with some of the toss-ups in there yeah, and I think you know special teams is so much a, a function of the, uh, as you said, the depth of the roster. How many great or good players have you recruited? The younger guys are usually have to earn their their way on special teams before they become starters. And and we all know that Norvell, you know, he was one of those coaches. Of course, you go back a few years ago, COVID uh, was a big deal. You know, uh, uh, not just in football, but certainly in this country. But it was it was something that you kind of almost gave those guys who inherited those programs at that time a little bit of a hall pass year one but here we are and you know I think you've written about this that with this Florida State team they could win eight games or if they have a losing season there's no secret that this is this is probably it for Mike Norvell he needs to win um, it's one thing to be building building showing progress all that stuff now you got to have the dubs Absolutely. Because, look, Florida State fans, I know they're not happy with the way the last couple of years have been, and I don't blame them. But there was legitimate progress last year. There was progress compared you know, from year one to year two, if you look at the totality of it. And there was progress in the middle of the season as well, considering they looked pretty hapless at, at times. The, the Louisville game was, was a bad one early on that, that jumps out to my mind. And towards the end of the season, by and large, they were really competitive with everybody. Um you know, my, my buddy Brendan Sinone at Knowles 247 uh, was, was really sharp the other day to bring up the old Bobby Bowden line. First, you lose big, then you lose close, then you win close, and then you win big. So <laughs> I, we've seen that from FSU. You know, first they lost big, and they got blown out too much in year one. Uh, last year, they lost close with you know the, the close loss against Notre Dame in overtime. Uh, Louisville by a score where they had a, a chance to go down and tie it at the end. Um, Clemson, where it was a 10-point game, but that was because there was a weird 
fumble lateral situation on the, the final play. Anyway, they lost close last year, and now it's time for them to to win close. Because when you, you you go up and, and look at that schedule, do I think Louisville's a lot better than Florida State? No. Florida State could win that one. It, it's That's a coin flip. LSU, to me, that's a coin flip. I have no idea what to make of LSU. Um, so, But FSU, the Knowles should have a, a legitimate fighting chance there. The Gators at the end of the year, Knowles should have a, a legitimate fighting chance there. I, and I, if I had to pick today, I might even pick the Knowles to win that one. Hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, Wake Forest, depending on the health of Sam Hartman at quarterback. So they've got enough of those where they should – if this is a legitimately better team, they'll win the games that they should. You know, obviously starting with Duquesne on Saturday, but they'll start eking out more of those close ones that they lost the first couple of years. The quarterback situation is settled, right? Or has he recruited somebody that that we might see intermittently um, throughout the year? No, it's it's Jordan Travis's show. Um, yeah, yeah. Presume, assuming health, um, right. and it should be. You know, when when he is healthy, and he and he he plays at a high level. He's a at least a good college quarterback, maybe a very good college quarterback. You know, I don't think he has the size and, and all that stuff to be great at the NFL, but that, that doesn't matter for these purposes. He's at least a good college quarterback, and he adds a lot to the run game. Um, and he, he can throw, he can make some throws too. So, yeah, it's, it's his show. A.J. Duffy, the, the um, blue chip freshman, it, it will be his turn another day, but right now it's, it's Jordan Travis. You had a chance to uh, go up to Gainesville and tour the $85 million uh, facility that they have built up there. And oh my, oh my, just the pictures of that thing is incredible. Um, tell me, do they walk around saying, is this heavener? Uh, <laughs> it's, listen, it, for all those who think that uh, there's no money uh, laying around in college football, and I know it's taken Florida a long time to finally get this, but as, as uh, you quoted somebody saying, there are really no more excuses. Florida's on par and above uh, when it comes to facilities right now. Correct. Uh, uh, David Whitley at the Gainesville Sun called it uh, seventh heavener, which I kind of like that one. Um, I like that. So credit credit there. Um, yeah, it, you're exactly right. M- Mark Hockey, the, the strength coach at, at Florida, just as they were getting ready to open it, he said, once it opens, there's no more excuses. Mm. And I think he is 100% right. Because <clears throat> you, you go back over the last couple years, really kind of since, since Muschamp, I'm not going to say the coaches have made excuses because I don't think they have, but there there has definitely been some grumbling, sometimes publicly, sometimes behind the scenes, with the program and people around the program about a couple things. Um, Jim McElwain, after they won the Outback Bowl, publicly said, "We'll see if the administration is committed to this." And you could that was a that was you could question it for for for, for two things. One is the resources that's allocated to them. You know, the Gators have aren't going to, you know, Nick Saban got an $11 billion contract the other day. I, I don't think Florida's ever going to have a football coach make the most in the country. I just don't think they are. That's not who they are. They're, they're going to have the guy be highly compensated, but I don't think they're going to be quite at that level. Um, staff pool in the past has been competitive, but not at the highest level either. Um, and the, the Army, the analysts and what have you, Florida hasn't historically done that. Well, now they do. They've got, I mean, I don't know if you, you all saw the, the picture that was going on. I was going to get to that. Day. My goodness, mm-hmm. 85 undergrads in what they call the G unit? What the hell was that? Yeah, there, there's 85 undergrads that are involved in the program in some capacity. We're not talking about the, the 85 scholarship guys. We're talking about just random yeah. Joe from Ocala and Susie from 
Wesley Chapel that are involved in the program. Think like equipment manager helping with video, that type mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, right. And then just the the rest of the army that Napier has ascended, uh, assembled, about twenty percent bigger than what it was in the past. Um, you know, I, I toured the facility. I, I was walking around. We were they were showing us the coaches' suite, and I noticed a room in the middle called the bullpen. So I asked somebody, "What's the bullpen?" Oh yeah, that's that's where the analysts are. So there's a bunch of computers and set up for your analysts and quality control guys. So the the what what might have been true a couple of years ago, which is the Gators don't have the human infrastructure to compete. That's not true anymore. That excuse is done. They, they're I don't know if they're as big as Alabama, but they're not going to lose games because of analysts. That that's done. And then the other part, which is something Muschamp preached, McElwain preached, Mullen preached, was facilities. We got to get caught up in facilities. They are. Um, I don't know that the, the Hevner is the nicest football facility in the country. It doesn't have a waterfall or, or a mini golf course or some of that stuff, but it is pretty darn nice. Uh, I don't think there's going to be recruits who go in there and say, you know what? This facility <laughs> doesn't have enough bells and whistles for me. <laughs> right. Um, that, that, I don't think that's going to happen. I, and just from the efficiency standpoint, whatever the Gators were losing – you know, you can think it's ridiculous. You can think it's the biggest deal ever, whatever. But the time they were losing in transit with the way the rooms were set up, the way the just getting from locker room to practice field, that stuff's gone. The efficiency is here now. So to me, those were the two lingering excuses around the program, not having the resources in terms of manpower and not having the facilities. Well, the Gators have both now. They are still in one of the four most, you know, four richest areas in terms of producing players. And they're right, ne- right next to another one in Georgia. They still are in the SEC with the prestige that comes with it and the money that comes with it. There is no reason why the Gators cannot compete for national championships again soon. Not this year. I, I'm, that's, that's silly. Let's not go that far. Maybe not next year either. But there is no reason why the Gators are a program that should be struggling long term. That, 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 the reasons there are no excuses anymore. Well, in the short term, they may struggle in the opener which is one of the better openers, I think, in college football next week. Utah comes and visits the Gators in Gainesville. And what are they saying out there in Utah about this game? Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. Um, you look at – look, this is a big game for Florida. Um, it is. It's the, it's the new era with Napier and the excitement and, and all that stuff. And that's fine and dandy. Utah, this is a, a huge, huge deal. Um, I, I was talking to, to Josh Newman at uh, the Salt Lake um, Tribune out there. I want to read you a quote. You'll be able to read about this on Tampa De- TampaBay.com in a couple days, but I want to re- read you a quote from him. I've been saying in writing for a long time, I say that this is the biggest opener in the history of the program, talking <laughs> wow. about Utah. Wow. Um, but look, consider where Utah is. They're top 10 in the country. Um, yeah, I've got them yeah. fourth in the country. Right. They are a legitimate – they enter the season as a legitimate college football playoff contender. Mm-hmm. I see no reason why they could not contend for it. Um, Cam Rising at quarterback, he he might be a Heisman contender. I, I would not be surprised at all. Um, you look at where they ended last year. Where, you know, they struggled a little bit early, found Cam Rising at quarterback, made that switch. Then they were one of the – clearly a top 10 team, one of the best teams in the country. You look at the Rose Bowl thriller against Ohio State – winning the Pac-12, all that stuff, so that they still kind of have the buzz from last season. Then what's ahead of them this year, where they could certainly go 13-0 and and win the Pac-12 and go to the playoffs. That, that would not be – that's not crazy to think that will happen. I'm not saying it will, but that's that's on the table. And then you, you add in the fact that it's still Florida. Um, no, the Gators have not been good. You know, I mean, 
what, two losing seasons in five years. They, they, they are not Florida, they, and especially the Gators right now this second. They are not what Florida is supposed to be. But to the people in Utah, it is still Florida. They don't play a lot of SEC teams out there. They, they don't make a lot of road trips that are like the Swamp. I mean, I was talking with somebody yesterday who's flying in from Salt Lake City into Tampa, he and some of his buddies, because they're so excited to go to an SEC game and enjoy the Swamp and everything. Mm. So it is a huge, huge deal to, to the people of Utah and to that program where, yeah, yeah, the Gators are not what the Gators are supposed to be. But if you can beat a program, a blue blood of Florida's level, coming after a great season where you won the conference and going into a season where you might do even better this year, it's a huge deal. And you know, like, like, uh, like Josh told me, probably the biggest opener in the history of Utah football. I'm thinking Billy Napier, unfortunately, inherited this schedule, which is done you know, years in advance. And he would probably like a Duquesne-like opener. Um, because you know that, that just from a game day management standpoint, there's going to be lots of kinks, lots of mistakes, personnel changes, whether you even have the right players right in the right position the first week. This is not a uh, this is not the debut you would necessarily want as an opponent, to say the least. No, it's not. I, I had to go back and check. I was I was thinking about that not too long ago. I, I had to go back and check. Do you remember who Dan Mullen opened against? No. But I bet it Charleston. wasn't as good as Utah. <laughs> right. There you go. Char- it was Charleston Southern. There you go. That's yeah, what I'm looking uh, I, for. I, I com- I'm sure I remember a lot about that game. They, they won a thousand to nothing. Um, <laughs> you got the dub. It's what you remember. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, the Jim McElwain was the in, in 15. That was my first game, kind of in this role. They beat yeah. New Mexico State 61 to 13. You that know, New Mexico State has always mm-hmm. been a great opening. When I covered the Gators a hundred years ago, <laughs> we opened with New Mexico. We the Gators opened. We, they opened with New Mexico State, a perfect opening day uh, opponent. It, I I don't remember a thing about that game. I remember week two, the Gators played East Carolina. It was thirty-one twenty-four was the final. That was a memorable game because Close. it was closer than it should have been. Yeah. Jim McElwain was livid afterward. Some Florida fans <laughs> probably remember um, Kelvin Taylor, the running back, scored a late touchdown and did the throat slashing thing. I do remember a, that. Okay, yeah. so he gets a 15-yard penalty and a game that's already too close, which gives <laughs> East Carolina a short field. McElwain just unloads on the sidelines. And then afterward, McElwain was, was still upset. And I will always remember this. He comes into the, the, the news conference and, and He's, he's ticked. And he says, that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for me. It was embarrassing for the team, embarrassing for the university, embarrassing for the players. And you ought to be embarrassed for having to have to write about that. <laughs> Were you? Uh, Were like, you embarrassed, man? Um, <laughs> no. I, I was kind of like, okay, so hmm, what's a question I can ask that will get a decent answer? And <laughs> I, I remember somebody asked, like, you know, there were a, a lot of – starting to answer, like, you know, there's a, a lot of penalties on something. I was like, you think? <laughs> Way too many, and you know, just going off, and it's oh, one man. of those where I mean, you, you've you've been through them. Where like, all right, there's nothing yep. I can do on this. I'm not going to get a good question in that will get Fall a good answer. Outrage. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just survive in advance. Write about how yep. this is embarrassing. Mosey on. That's great. Well, they'll uh, you'll have plenty to write about in that game for sure. Um, let me ask you about. Uh, you mentioned there's a book out on, and by the way, Nick Saban. Congratulations on your new deal. I guess they're going to carry you off the field at age 79, I, or maybe you'll sign another contract. I'm not really sure. So I don't get, I don't really get college football contracts other than 
he by far has to be the most, you know, has to consistently be the highest paid head coach in the land, I would imagine. But that said, um, leadership secrets of Nick Saban, and this is significant why, uh, because Billy Napier has incorporated some of these, right? Correct. I, I just have to back up to the contract. You're right. Saban should be the highest paid, but this, this is so petty college football. I absolutely love it. Um, he wasn't the highest paid for a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia, he just won a yeah. national championship, you, you might sure. remember. Yeah. Um, so Georgia had been working on the offseason. They give him a new deal, $11 million, $12 million. Well, it's Monopoly money, whatever. They sure. gave him a new deal worth a lot of money. That makes him number one in terms of pay. So what mm-hmm. happens a month later, Alabama has their board meeting, and they make Alabama is Nick Saban number one in the country because it, they have to make it happen. It's so perfect. Right. Oh, I so love it. it. Okay. We're number one. Uh, We're number one. Exactly. Um, so yeah, new book out by John Talty of AL.com called The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. Um, I got an advanced copy. Uh, I read it too slowly. It's already out. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, really interesting book. Um, but I was reading it through the prism of Billy Napier. Hmm. And we'll have, we'll have something on this on TampaBay.com here pretty soon. Yeah. But I was just trying to see... What have I heard and seen from Napier that that comes directly from Saban? And we 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 know there's Saban DNA in Napier at this point, but what what are some details? Uh, and you know, a couple things kind of jumped out. Um, Billy said on day one at Florida, it's a talent acquisition business. I knew Saban was huge on recruiting. I didn't know it was to this degree. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a story in there on day one at Alabama. Uh, Saban gets everybody together. Everybody. Coaches, players, janitors, secretaries, and tells them everything we do is about recruiting. If the janitors aren't putting the trash away at a national championship level, recruits will notice. If the sec, you know, the secretary who answers the phone, that's the way some people will view the University of Alabama from the outside. So the secretary has to answer the phone at a national championship level for recruiting. So I, I thought that was something that kind of jumped out. Um, and, and then just kind of another line in there that that jumped out to me as well um billy kind of got a there were some people at florida who were on or i should say some fans who were unhappy on billy's first day when he was asked about recruiting at a higher level and kind of the the five stars and what have you mm-hmm. um because obviously that's what did dan mullen and, and billy said you know we're not going to get consumed with stars we're going to trust our evaluations that's something every coach says i get sure, that. sure. but saban really really sticks to that there are people in the book who said i've never been around a coach who sticks with that so much and i'm going to quote this line from rick trickett who worked with and under saban and also was a longtime fsu assistant coach from 2007 to to 2017 Uh, saban's really sharp in recruiting because he still trusts his eyes a lot of coaches don't anymore i think what hurt us at florida state at the end was we quit trusting our eyes we hmm. cared more about what the recruiting magazines telling us. Or we cared more about the recruiting magazines telling us we were number three in the nation. FSU was number three in the nation recruiting in 2016. After that, they went ten and three, seven and six, five and seven, and six and seven. That's so really I thought that line in there kind of jumps out in terms of what it, you know, kind of explaining some of FSU's struggles, and then also kind of enlightening a little bit about what Billy Napier might want to do. Um, and then just little phrases in there too, that, that every, you know, a, a lot of them coaches have their own sayings and what have you. But um, one of Saban's mentors like to say, plan your work, work your plan. Well, Billy Napier said that a week and a half ago, and that was not mm. an, an adage I had heard before. So then I'm reading this book and like, 
wait a second, Billy just said that. Mm. So there's just a couple little things that it's, you know, Billy Napier is not a carbon copy of Saban. They do things a little differently. Billy's kind of army of analysts is almost all up and comers. You know, they were associate assistant athletic director or associate assistant personnel directors at UCF. Now they're doing that with the Gators or they were at Dartmouth as a tight ends coach. And now they're with the Gators as a, you know, quality control guy where Saban more kind of the, he has some of those, but he also has the Butch Jones after he bombed at Tennessee, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin. And of course, one of the tarnished goods that Saban reworked was a, a young offensive coordinator who had gotten canned at Clemson what, 12 years ago, uh, uh, when Billy Napier. Mm. You know, it's interesting, and we'll get into this one day, I'm sure, but um, the recruiting thing has become its own industry, right? Much like the draft Knicks have become that in the NFL, okay? And, and, and hard though it is to believe these guys get paid millions of dollars to be evaluators of talent, they still pay attention, too, in the NFL about you know, where the mock drafts have certain players at because they know at a minimum if they take a guy who's projected to be a much lower pick, they're going to, you know, they're going to immediately be said, oh, this guy overdrafted him. He would, I'm a, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of amazing that, that, that the tail wags the dog that way in college football too because you, gotta, you, know, you should know what a football player looks like, right? Uh, and at the end of the day, you're getting judged on wins and losses, but they really, they are sensitive to where their ranking is in terms of recruiting every year, aren't they? You, most of them are. I mean, you, in the NFL, you don't want to be a general manager who, I don't know, trades up to draft a kicker in the second round if it doesn't work out, right? <laughs> okay. Just as a, fair. Just as a hypothetical. <laughs> I, I suppose this worked out for, for, for Jason fair. Light um, afterward. Um, but yeah, in, in colleges, it's, it's, that, it's, it's that way as well. Um, the recruiting rankings, look, they do matter. Right. Like yeah. they matter in terms of just predicting success. Five stars are much more likely to get drafted and get drafted mm-hmm. high than four mm-hmm. stars who are much more likely to get drafted and drafted high than three stars who are much more likely to get drafted and drafted high than two stars. Yes, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, a five star is going to pan out better than a two star. So that's the first thing that I could see a real reason with that. Like what this guy's a five star. We don't think he's that high. What are, are we missing something and kind of maybe give it a second look. Um, and the other thing is recruiting rankings matter in terms of public perception is the thing that I would say. Look, I, I, have I watched film on all of the guys in the Gators 2022 class and, and the guys who got committed in 23? No, I have not. But I can look and say, oh, that guy's a four-star. Oh, that guy's a number of 233 players in the country. Oh, yeah. I, I can look at that. And, and you, Joe Fan, can can look at that, whether you're on the message boards or t- social media, whatever it is, and form yeah. an opinion to where you can say, well – Look, the Gators are already up to 10 in the country. Uh, we're knocking on Miami's door. And those, those are clear rankings that people can understand. So it matters in terms of how they view this coach or that coach as a recruiter. And I, there are certainly, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of be gentle. I have, I've heard plenty of stories over the years of somebody taking, uh, of programs signing so-and-so late, who's a talented player, a four-star whatever he is to make the recruiting ranking better, even though they think he's not going to make it to campus. He doesn't have the grades <laughs> okay. like that. Or yeah, maybe he's in, in trouble and might not make it to campus that way. He'll have to go Juco. But still, yeah. if you sign that four star, he's part of your class and you're number 11 instead of 14, like Currency. that type That's of stuff, yeah. uh, that stuff happens. 
That's that's crazy, but yeah, I can I can see where that would be uh, be a thing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving thirty three percent with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a fifteen stem bunch of tulips for just nine ninety nine each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, okay, I'll get you out on this one, and this is not related to what you're doing this weekend necessarily, but a college football player, former college football player, an NFL player that you're familiar with from Lakewood High School, um, one of one of uh, two of twins, obviously, Shaquem Griffin is going to end his NFL career. Um, I thought his story is inspirational. You, you've certainly been around it, covered it, written about it, I'm sure. Um, really good college football player. I mean, but this this story transcends just his play on the field right i mean in terms of what, what do you make of, of of his impact um on the game that that uh that you covered and it was just right up the road at, at central florida yeah i mean he was a great great player at ucf just mm-hmm. a, a fantastic player who really was a heart of that turnaround from being awful to being awesome um right. mm-hmm. clearly well, clearly an inspiration um yeah. he, he 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 was different because he had the one hand Sure. He just was. It was different. But it obviously did not define him. It, to to the outside, it did because it was something that's different. And right. and in football, you know, there there's there's tools. Everybody kind of looks the same. There, and for, so for somebody to do it who had that difference and made it not define him was, was I mean, it was it was inspirational. The, the what he was able to do. And, and I go back to. Um, you know, I, I've been at the Times 11 years and change now. The best thing we've had in our sports section, in my opinion, was when John Cody wrote about the Griffins and you kind of introduced a lot of people to that story, to, mm-hmm. to, to Shaquille and Shaquem and, and everything that went on. And, and this is before UCF and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think that's the best sports story we've done. And one of the top couple of things our paper has done in my time here and, yeah, uh, good, good on him for for re- recognizing. Okay, it's time to mosey along, and yeah. I think he's one of those people that I don't know what all is going to be in store for his next chapter and the chapter after that and the chapter after that. But sure. dude's going to be successful, whatever yeah. it is, whatever whatever life will throw at him. He's a dude who's going to be an inspiration and going to be extremely extremely successful. No question, yeah, impact guy for sure. Well, Matt Baker will be at Florida State watching the Duquesne Dukes, I guess. And uh, heaven help Mike Norvell if he doesn't at least get the dub and then some. Uh, we'll see how the uh, Seminoles get off to that start. Safe travels up the highway. Matt, we appreciate your time. Thanks, buddy. It's college football is back. Darn right. Thanks, Rick. I can't believe college football is back, but I'm so looking forward to it. Meanwhile, the Bucks will be at the Colts for their final preseason tune-up. That is Saturday night. Uh, the Rays are headed to Boston to play the Red Sox and uh, continue their hot streak as they are on a roll with the uh, currently the first wild card position in the American League, which is good for them. So hope you guys uh, enjoy the college football weekend. Check out Matt Baker, of course, with the Duke F- Duquesne FSU game. Uh, we'll be back on Monday for Steve Burstyn, Comrick Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.